Travis Ryer with a reminder that Second Helping is now a part of a new network. That's right. Moving forward, Second Helping is teamed with the Pigskin Podcast Network. Now, with the Pigskin Podcast Network as our primary platform, you'll still be able to hear us wherever you consume podcasts and will be brought to you in part by DraftKings, a partnership we'll tell you more about a little later in the program. For now, though, enjoy the show. Welcome back to Second Helping, the podcast of choice of fans and followers of the number one league in all of collegiate athletics, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network, alongside my great friend, co-host, longtime college football analyst, most recently at First Coast News, right there in Jacksonville, Florida. Also a longtime voter in the race for the most prestigious Individual honor in collegiate athletics, the Heisman Trophy, and that would be the one, the only, Brent Beard. Brent, how you doing? Good, Brent. It's uh, uh, one thing I learned from you years ago, and, and people need to write this down when they're talking about count. The next seven days are very crucial for every team because there would be not one but two scrimmages, right, Trev, in the next seven days. Yeah, you know, these first couple, this first scrimmage, you'll kind of figure out your first 30, 40 guys, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then over the course of that second scrimmage, you're trying to figure out up to 45 or 50 to start the season anyway. Guys that you're going to invest time and reps into as you creep closer to that season opener. And for crying out loud, we know Vanderbilt opens on yeah, August the 27th right. at Hawaii, so mm-hmm. some of that process has been expedited for at least one team in the league. Yeah, uh, it, obviously they got started with the uh, um, uh, Week Zero game, and again, Travis and I have been very clear about this. We both think this is a crucial game for Vanderbilt, so the more they can get in, uh, at this time, the better. So I, I think that's going to be very important. And by the way, Travis, um, just kind of uh, uh, heard a little bit more about this this week. I know they're the Alabama's opener in Utah State. People may not realize Utah State plays week zero, too. Uh, they do. They do. And that should be a benefit to them. Although we all know it's pretty much a money game. Yes. For the Aggies, but they are the defending Mountain West Conference champions. So Blake Anderson can coach, man. The guy's a good football coach, did a nice job at Arkansas State. He's already won a MWC championship out there in Logan. So good for the Aggies. Uh, Competitive, going to pick up some nice cash and uh, absolutely have a little bit of a jump start on the Crimson Tide. And Oh, other things we're going to get into on the podcast today, what we're essentially going to do is go around the SEC with camp and uh, full go mode and scrimmages approaching uh, most of the league for the first time around. Some of the league, some teams in the league already through that first scrimmage. We'll give you an item, a particular item of interest for every team in the Southeastern Conference. And, you know, injuries are going to be a part of that too, Brent, sure. unfortunately, because we've heard here in the last three or four days at least a couple of SEC teams have already been bitten by the bug. Yeah, uh, JoJo Earl at Alabama, uh, certainly out for um, several weeks at this point with a foot injury. And travel these receivers, it's, it seemed like it's always the foot injuries that uh, that kind of shelved them for a while. So uh, he is one, Ricky Pearsall, 
uh, at Florida who comes over from Arizona State. They thought that was going to be uh, uh, maybe even half the season at first, but now it's down to day to day. To day. So, uh, uh, but but again, uh, that's one of the difficult things about this time of year is that you lose a lot of guys. Uh, sometimes and oftentimes for season-ending injuries. The only real season-injury in, in, I've seen so far, Travis, and it's outside the SEC, Florida State's got offensive lineman Caden Lyles, who came over from Wisconsin. Uh, he is gone for the season, and, boy, they need some help there in the offensive line. And the reason I bring that up is, uh, as you know, Trav, they start – uh, with Duquesne on week zero. And then after that, they were in New Orleans against LSU. And I'm just guessing against the LSU D line, you need all the experience you can get at an offensive line, don't you? Yeah. And it's been an area for Florida State, similar to Florida in a lot of ways, that hasn't been up to standard for several years now in Tallahassee. So, you know, we talk about the injuries and getting back to Pearsall of Florida. You know, initially that sounded a lot worse than yes. what it has proven to be. It sounded like similar to JoJo Earl, a Jones fracture, maybe uh, a Liz Frank injury of some sort in relation to that midfoot. And uh, for him to be on a boot and looking as if he could be back in relatively short order, that's more important, I would say, to Florida than Earl being out yes. is to Alabama, although Earl also impacts the return game on punts. So he's a candidate in that area of special teams as well. Alabama from a depth perspective in pretty good shape, but Alabama also looking for some guys to emerge beyond Jermaine Burton. So Jojo Earl, according to Nick Saban was having a great camp. The good news for Earl is that he is expected back perhaps as early as mid to late September. I think Nick Saban pointed to October the 1st, maybe, as a more realistic return time for Jojo Earl. And you think, well, he's not going to be there for the start of the season and guys are going to entrench themselves. Well, we saw just last season, Alabama had injuries at the wide receiver position that they were not able to recover from no. late in the season. So if you get Jojo Earl back mid season, that could be a blessing in disguise. If you have a guy or two go down in the first five or six weeks of the season. Well, and also some talk about Jermaine Burton uh, and Kool-Aid McKinstry getting a little bit more action in the uh, uh, return game. And even Jameer Gibbs, uh, who, I, uh, Trav, my understanding is, and, and I know you've written about this, uh, we've mentioned some negative things for Alabama. One of the positive things, I think, is Gibbs. I, uh, you're, you're having guys make statements uh, to, to the effect of we haven't seen a guy like this that is a total package in terms of speed and ability and is running back catching the ball in a long time. So I, I, I'm not saying he's the surprise of the, of the fall camp, but he certainly has lived up to his uh, notoriety so far. Yeah, I'd be shocked if Jameer Gibbs wasn't the first not only running back on the field for Alabama, in that opener against Utah state, but also uh, if he isn't back deep, I'd be shocked yeah. on those kickoff returns, specifically punt returns, maybe more so McKinstry Burton can do that as well. Christian Leary, um, you know, uh, they they've got some candidates other than Earl there, but uh, 
some interesting stuff coming out of Tuscaloosa, some of it. Not what Crimson Tide fans would like to hear. You know, we've talked so much about realignment on the podcast of late, Brent, but man, looks like we're going through something similar where television is concerned here in the last few days. Uh, folks need to be aware there are some major changings happening on the uh, uh, TV horizon uh, that deal with Big Ten media rights. This should be official probably, Trav, either this weekend or next week. And, and we're going to have like a uh, – I mean, this is a billion-dollar deal. Uh, and what the Big Ten has done, uh, really unprecedented in a lot of ways. They have basically broken away from ESPN. Uh, and they will be dealing with a lot of entities. And this is fascinating because this is the future. Travis and I have talked about this, uh, but they are going uh, to CBS for the 330 game, which for our listeners and viewers, Trav, is going to be a real, real, <laughs> real adjustment for them. NBC on a night game. But as we've said, said for, for quite some time, Apple or Amazon, uh, FS1, obviously the Big Ten Network, and Peacock, Trav, all involved with this $1 billion to $1.5 billion deal. And uh, even even uh, some talk this week that uh, a Friday night streaming game on Apple, uh, boy, uh, compared to what we had, what, Trav, 10 to 20 years ago, it's a new world, is it not? Yeah, we've said it before here on the podcast. If you're not embracing those apps, you better get to it. <laughs> if you want to enjoy college football to the fullest extent, you're going to have to get app savvy. Yeah. You're going to have to get good with those apps and those streaming platforms because that's absolutely where we have been moving, and we're just about there. I was yes. going ahead and uh, – and say here, but yeah, it's interesting from the CBS perspective because CBS didn't want to pony up to renew that 330 SEC game, mm-hmm. and I believe ESPN ABC got it yeah, for 300 million yes. per year for 10 years, so three billion over 10 years for the for the 330 game. That's the 330 game. <laughs> but when you think about it. You know, what CBS is paying reportedly over seven years for the Big Ten at 385 right. per year, looks like ESPN ABC did okay yes. with the SEC. Now, this was negotiated a short time back, I believe, even before Oklahoma and Texas were officially connected with the SEC moving forward. So I think ESPN ABC came out of this looking pretty good in aligning itself with the preeminent entity in college football, the Southeastern Conference. And, um, you know, look, Gary Danielson, he's a Purdue alum, Brent. So good for yes. him, too. He'll be able to do some games from West Lafayette, perhaps, yeah, yeah, with yes, CBS. You, yes, and you go back right. home. He, the alma mater for That's Gary right. yeah. coming up. Yeah, you tweeted that earlier this week. I, I was amused. Purdue, that. Indiana. You That's know, right. To be able to Absolutely. Do that. But, but but I think what now we've talked about the streaming, but, but it, it is also interesting, Trav, that that somehow, some way, uh, we can't forget that ABC, CBS, and NBC. Particularly, what interesting is, and you don't know, we, we haven't seen this that much unless Notre Dame's got an unusual situation. But we're talking about uh, having a a package 
on NBC on Saturday night. So uh, the, these these are the things about this deal uh, that, that uh, along with with all the uh, the streaming and the apps, how we still go back to the fundamentals in a way. <laughs> yeah, we do. But it is very interesting to see sort of the powers align here beyond just the the conference aspect Correct. into the television and how could that impact the power structure of college athletics moving forward because it is billions with an s of dollars that we're talking about at this point well brent we said we wanted to go around the sec provide at least one item of interest for every SEC football team to this point of fall camp. We hit on Alabama with the injury update, I feel like, with JoJo Earl and sort of that receiver situation. So let's talk some Arkansas here. Uh, Sam Pittman's team continues to prepare for what we talked about before, another brutal schedule, but uh, a team that a lot of people have some, some high hopes for in year three under Sam Pittman. Give us an item of interest for the Hogs here about a week or so into camp. Uh, the first thing would be the running game. Dominic Johnson, uh, who's her junior running back, we understand is ahead of schedule, uh, and that he will, uh, he's recovering from some injuries, but they think that he'll be able to play a decent amount with Raheem Sanders. And again, uh, we've talked about KJ Jefferson in the improvement. He's lost weight. Uh, we know their offensive line is going to be good. Uh, maybe we haven't talked enough about that running game uh, as far as the Hogs are concerned this year. Obviously, Traylon Smith and Dominic Johnson, uh, it, we mentioned the injury. Traylon Smith has gone on to the NFL. But, but, but boy, oh, boy, with, uh, with Jefferson and the way we love him being able to uh, tuck the ball and run on maybe a third or fourth and short, and these running backs – that defense that uh, we chronicle is going to be very good. Boy, uh, uh, I think this hog team it may may not even be getting the credit it deserves in some ways. No, they've got some backs. You mentioned Dominique Johnson, and he's a load in his own right. He is six one, about two hundred twenty five pounds. You pair him up with KJ Jefferson, who is not small no. by any means. He's maybe streamlined a little bit physically in relation to where he was a year ago. But then you've got a You've got a, a big-time speed guy. I mean, you don't go by rocket if you can't run, if you're not no. fast. And that's Raheem Sanders also in that backfield as well. So good stuff coming out of Fayetteville thus far for the Hogs in 2022 fall camp. What about the Auburn Tigers, Brent? I know they got some unwanted news at the quarterback position here recently, but um, what else do we know coming off the plains, coming out of the plains here a week or so in? I'm I'm curious what you've heard about this too, but Robbie Ashford, the redshirt freshman who really did not play a whole lot uh, when he was at Oregon, six three two twelve. Understand that he also is a really good baseball player, has a very strong arm, uh, also. But he's got some attention this week. Not saying he's going to be the guy. Zach Cozada obviously involved in this. Uh, T.J. Finley, when he's not not on the scooter, uh, is also involved <laughs> involved with it too. Uh, no, no, nothing clear at this point. But I just thought it was interesting, Travis, that uh, of the, the you know the the guys that we've heard so much about in Finley uh, and Cozada, we've seen them play. But Ashford's kind of the guy of the week that we've heard some praise about today. 
Ashford was an intriguing prospect coming out of Hoover High School there in the Birmingham area a couple of years ago because he was and is a two-sport guy. I, I guess that's still the case for him. Um, very talented in both sports, was considered to be maybe a little bit more of a raw quarterback. But, you know, I would have figured him as a better fit for Gus Malzahn yeah, in that offense sure. because the Cam Newton comparison, I know. Uh, we should – we should never make that again after Joey Gatewood's abbreviated tender <laughs> yes. there at Auburn. But Ashford had, you know, a versatile skill set, good size. So interesting to hear his name pop up in relation to that job where certainly Auburn has to get some things figured out going into the season. We mentioned the Ricky Pearsall injury at the University of Florida at the top of the podcast, Brent. Anything else related to the Gators that maybe we need to know about? I give uh, Billy Napier a lot of credit because they have zeroed in on some of the real fundamental mistakes uh, from last year, and that would be the penalties. Uh, 104, uh, they had a lot of undisciplined penalties. Travis, 75 undisciplined penalties, including 29 false starts in 13 games. Uh, that that's one thing that, that that along with Chris Thomas, the defensive tackle coming back this week, that it was just really hard to ignore. Look, if uh, and you watch him last year, like I did, particularly like in the Kentucky game uh, when you got so many false starts. Look, that's just a absolute lack of discipline that Dan Mullen struggled with with this team, if they can get these penalties uh, uh, to a much more of a minimum, they've got to play some better ball this year simply if they do that. They're going to have to because I don't know if their makeup offensively is going to be of that ability to overcome first and 15, first and 20. No. In terms of explosive play potential, maybe they will. Maybe Anthony Richardson, just on his own, will be able to develop that. But I'm sensing more of a methodical approach on offense, starting with the run game and establishing physicality. But I don't see with this Florida team right now, I think they have some quality options, Xavier Henderson, some of those guys. But in terms of just consistently being able to overcome unfavorable down and distance situations in that offense, I don't think they have any choice but to to clean a lot of that up. What about the University of Georgia, Brent? Uh, what's Kirby got going on up there in Athens? It's kind of a team nobody's really talking about. Uh, that's the thing that's really amazing, frankly. Now, I won't go into detail here, but just to touch on uh, $68 million project for the stadium, including renovating the bathrooms and make it easier to get around Stanford Stadium, uh, which is interesting. Uh, on the field, uh, Kirby Smart seemed to go and have his way. Small Mondon, who's an inside linebacker, to give him a little credit, and also some freshman defensive backs, Corey Thomas, Malachi Starks, or guys that they're also looking at. Well, one thing also got my attention, and this is something we touched on just a few weeks ago. You talk about all these backs in the SEC, and there are some tremendous backs, but uh, the thing we're hearing is Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton 
or really headed for some breakout seasons. Uh, I, I, these are guys that aren't talked about enough, Travis. Uh, and you you throw these tight ends in there. This offensive line, they say may, may be the most athletic that Kirby's got. And I think some more than serviceable receivers. Could this offense be better than we think? You know, there's a interesting angle to all of that when you consider the level at which the offensive line performed under Sam Pittman, under Matt Luke, Stacy Searles coming in there as the offensive line coach at Georgia, not saying there's pressure on him, but there's damn sure a standard at this point and an expectation now on an annual basis that the Georgia offensive line is going to perform at a very high level. So we'll see what that proves to be with Searles uh, in Athens back in the sec. Uh, in year one upon his return to the league there, uh, coaching that offensive line at Georgia. DraftKings changed the fantasy football game forever in 2012. Now, 10 years later, they're doing it again with Rainmakers Football, their first ever NFT fantasy game. That's right, there's a new way to enjoy daily fantasy football and a new shot to win millions in prizes. All of it from the only NFT fantasy game licensed by the NFLPA. Playing Rainmakers Football is simple. Buy, sell, bid, and win player cards of the biggest names in the game through regular drops and auctions. Build your collection of football stars and enter free Rainmaker football contests all season long to compete for millions in jaw-dropping prizes. Each week, you'll craft your lineups of athletes from your NFT collection and rack up points for touchdowns, receptions, and more, just like you would in daily fantasy football. The next generation of fantasy sports is almost here. Download the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app now and sign up with promo code TPPN. Click the Rainmaker's tile and opt in so you can be ready for the next drop. Play free for millions in prizes all football season long and build the ultimate NFT fantasy franchise with Rainmakers Football. That's promo code TPPN only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, Brent. The University of Kentucky. (laughs) The last 24 hours, we've had a little bit of an eight-off rough. Yes. Adolph Rupp and Paul Bear Bryant situation involving John Calipari and also football coach Mark Stoops. Uh, Calipari, quote, this is a basketball school. Alabama is a football school. So is Georgia. No disrespect to our football team. I hope they win 10 games and go to bowls. But this is a basketball school. Uh, And Mark Stoops replies, basketball school, I thought we competed uh, in the SEC uh, with a with a uh, uh, with a hash mark, four straight postseason wins. Now, to me, this is a in in a nutshell who Mark Stoops is. Uh, now, look, they'll they'll clean all this up and, and be kumbaya in, in a few days. But I, Trav, I give Stoops some credit for standing up to Cal. Uh, and I and like you, I've heard this always taken out of context and all this other stuff. But look. Uh, Stoops, it's tough enough to recruit uh, in the SEC with just your rivals when you when someone on your own <laughs> athletic department uh, is indirectly criticizing you. It's time to stand up, and Stoops did that. Yeah, and I understand, and you just said it. And there were some folks, I think, around that athletic department that tried to spin it as, well, here's the full 
answer from Cal and more context as to what he said. He still used the words he used. And no matter how you frame it, complete context, all those things, there's some things that are better off unsaid when it comes to the greater good of your athletic department. And Cal didn't seem to have a problem with, at least in some form or fashion, putting out there, again, what we all know. We all know Kentucky is a basketball school, even if they did lose to St. Peter's in the most recent NCAA (laughs) tournament in the opening round. But uh, you you don't have to necessarily put it out there either. And again, understanding context is king. Still, to use those type of words in any type of answer to anything involving the University of Kentucky Athletics Department as a whole, it really wasn't, just wasn't a good choice there by John Calipari. What about LSU? Brian Kelly getting ready for year one of his tenure in Baton Rouge, we've talked about the big season opening matchup with the Florida State Seminoles in New Orleans. How much, how closer do you think LSU is to being able to take care of the Seminoles at this point in the preseason? I still think they've got the better roster. They've just got players, uh, especially on the line of scrimmage, that Florida State just doesn't have or, or that they really haven't gone uh, – had to deal with LSU's done real well the last few days in recruiting uh, from uh, late week practices. Uh, This doesn't necessarily mean Jaden Daniels is going to be the first team quarterback. He took a lot of the first team reps that the media saw miles Brennan, Garrett Nussmeyer understand Garrett Nussmeyer has a minor injury. So uh, that's not that. uh, So he wasn't in the scrimmage. Uh, that they had on Thursday uh, either. So uh, it still, they're trying to figure that out. Uh, receiver, Jack Betts, Brian Thomas, uh, they think they're going to be in decent shape uh, as far as that. John Emery, uh, who was academically suspended last year. Noah Kane, uh, still some question marks uh, with that group. And uh, running back, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so they're still trying to figure that out. Now, uh, Cavantre Bradford at, at running back, he is gone, speaking of running back. So, but I still think they've got a pretty decent group uh, in there. To me, Trap, what they've got to do is they've got to revitalize this defense. Uh, that That's the uh, that's the thing that's been so uh, unpredictable. Matt House is their new D coordinator. Uh, that's going to be important. I think this line with Allie Gay and Jacqueline Roy, I think, could be pretty good uh, before it's over. I won't go into all of them, but but the defensive stance in the offseason, that's something that they, it's almost like Tennessee's in some ways. That they've got to, They have to get significantly better on that side of the ball. Yeah, Allie Gay, um, DJ Aljalari. Uh, as your edge guys, um, and I like the I like the potential of their, at least the top of their wide receiver rotation with Butte and Thomas, um, you know, and several of those guys back. Um, you know, he's kind of a hybrid when you look at the tight end and wide receiver position. So, again, it sort of goes back to what we talked about throughout the offseason, the offensive line and whether or not it can become a legitimate group and provide protection and help them run the football more than they certainly have the last year or two, the last season or two, that has not been an LSU run game 
whatsoever. No. So some different areas on the offense to improve. And you said it defensively. We talked about uh, the essential trade that LSU and Arkansas yeah, really. took part in in the offseason. A couple of Arkansas defensive backs, starter types coming to LSU. So opportunity certainly exists for those guys uh, in that LSU secondary. So let's keep it moving around the SEC, Brent. Ole Miss, our next stop. Oxford, been a lot of talk about the quarterback situation there. So many transfers impacting the 2022 team for Lane Kiffin. What are you taking from the Rebels to this point? He really likes um, a this freshman running back, Quinshawn Jenkins, uh, it looks as good as any high school player we've, we've signed. He really had the the uh, <laughs> the amusing statement of the week. They asked him about the transfer portal, and he said, yeah, I was just on the field the other day thinking, we have a guy who played for Auburn last year on defense covering a guy who played for Mississippi State last year. <laughs> that's the world we live in. Uh, 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 that's the transfer portal in summary for the league, isn't it, Travis? <laughs> it really is. I mean, we just talked about it with LSU. I mean, look at the quarterback position alone. Mm-hmm. You've got LSU's quarterback at A&M now. you got A&M's right. quarterback at Auburn. You've got LSU's former quarterback at Auburn. Uh, you can just look at that position alone, let alone at every other spot on the field, but you're right. It is the new norm, and it's interesting to hear Kiffin talk about maybe some depth at the running back position because so much of the focus has been on Zach Evans coming in there from TCU. So, L, uh, excuse me, Ole Miss continuing to try to put things together on the offensive side of the ball with so much of an emphasis on transfers, whether it's the offensive line, whether it's wide receiver, whether it's running back, quarterback, obviously. Um, tied in with Michael Trigg coming in there from Southern California. Across the state, or just, I guess, up or over Mississippi State. And no questions about the quarterback position for Mike Leach going into year three. But offensive line, I think, another place within the league where you've got some questions to answer there where that first five is concerned. I think State really likes their wide receivers. A lot of experience, especially when you look at their inside receivers, waiting on some guys on the outside. I know that State, too, hit the transfer portal for some options, brought in a Georgia transfer, brought in a Northwestern transfer at wide receivers. So uh, Mike Leach and Mississippi State, what's going on there? Yeah, let me give you some guys who've really stood out. Uh, I don't think this has gotten enough attention. Charles Cross, last year left tackle, was one of the best offensive linemen in the nation, frankly. So the question is going to be is who's going to replace him? They've got a kid, Quatrivius Johnson, uh, that uh, the um, uh, and Percy Lewis is another guy uh, that that they are looking at. They really like uh, on the offensive line. Uh, now, look, Will Will Rogers is the guy, but they've also got this freshman, Sawyer Robertson, yeah. uh, that they they like. And the, the coaches have commented on him uh, a good bit, too. Strong side linebacker Ty Cooper uh, is another guy that has stood out uh, at, at this point. Uh, kickers. Massimo Biscardi and Ben Rabin brought in a couple uh, of guys, didn't they? <laughs> look, look, was there any team in the SEC that needed kickers? 
maybe Man. maybe any worse than they were. And G. Trav, what a surprise for you here! The guy they think that's had the best count, Emmanuel Forbes. How surprised are you about that? Yeah, it's my favorite corner in the Southeastern Conference. Been riding the Emmanuel Forbes train for quite a while now. No surprise there. And you talk about quarterbacks. I, if you, by the time you hear this, I think it sounds like anyway, Brent. State expected to get some really good news on the recruiting trail. Former Florida State commitment, Chris Parson, mm-hmm. expected to commit to Mississippi State at the quarterback position. So that would be some good news for that air raid offense. No doubt about that. What about Mizzou? We stick with quarterbacks. Sounds like Eli Drinkwith, uh, he's seen enough of his quarterbacks. He went ahead and named a starter, it sounds like, Brent. Boy, that, it didn't take long, did it, Travis? Uh, Brady Cook uh, is the guy. He started in the bowl game uh, in the Lost Army uh, last year. Now, now look, uh, it, <laughs> what a what a statement here. Uh, Cook will be the fifth different uh, week one starting quarterback for Missouri in the last five years. Brady Cook, Connor Basilak, Sean Robinson, Kelly Bryant, Drew Locke. Now, obviously, all that wasn't under Eli Drinkwith, but, boy, Trav, do they need some stability at quarterback. They do, but, man, I'll tell you, Eli continues to bring the heat at the podium during fall camp. He he really does. heard from him a day or so ago, and he basically said, we got a lot of starters that are with the twos now, you know, and that nothing's owed and that it's a (laughs) – meritocracy and mm-hmm. you get what you earn and sounds like um he said he's loving it and he, i don't know if he's confident but it sounds like in his own mind he feels really good about where yeah. that program is going as if you know some of the needed attrition had taken place and you're starting to see his guys uh, pretty much across that roster moving forward in year three we'll see about missouri some uh some budding confidence from Eli Drinkwith here in the preseason. South Carolina, what can you tell us about the Gamecocks here? There have been so much said, obviously, uh, about when you bring in Spencer Rattler and Marshawn Lloyd. Look, the, the where they've got to start, it, it improvement also is on the offensive line. Jalen Nichols, Dylan Wanham, Rashawn Lee, uh, Jovan Gwynn, Eric Douglas. Now, we, we don't know a whole lot about those names sometimes, but this is important here, Trav. Uh, between the guys we just mentioned, they have 113 starts at the college level. And, and get this, all five of those players have started at least 10 times. So uh, I would think for Spencer Rattler, that'd be, that would be good news. Yeah, because uh, this is it for Spence in yes. terms of meeting up with the five-star uh, accolades and ranking that accompanied him initially to Oklahoma. And I think Spencer Rattler is still a very capable guy at the mm-hmm. quarterback position. If he is fully engaged and committed to the work and the preparation on a daily basis and uh, they're able to first and foremost support him with a adequate run game, which I think they – they should be able to do that. And then a little different narrative or really approach in general 
from what was expected of him at Oklahoma. It was all about the offense at Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley and, and that program, South Carolina, more and more, you get the sense that this is a defense first sort of identity, Mm -hmm. um, solid in the kicking game. And then, you know, take care of the football. And that's where you worry about Rattler's involvement a little bit can be a little careless, a little lazy at times with the football and, efficiency is going to be a big, big thing to watch with Spencer Rattler during the 2022 season. As we keep moving here across the SEC, Tennessee Vols, man, I don't know if there's another program, maybe other than Alabama, I think you'd have to say, where it seems like on a daily basis, the win total expectation for a team goes up day by day like it does for Tennessee. Uh, it really does, but when you look at the numbers last year, and Travis and I have been uh, uh, talking about this almost ad nauseum, but when you actually look at the numbers, it's uh, it's really startling. Travis, uh, uh, when you're 120th in the nation in red zone defense uh, and 92% of the opportunities converted into points, uh, I, I, th- that is obviously a real uh, priority that, that and look, it's not again that they don't have talent. Jeremy Banks, we think, is uh, tremendous. They've got transfer additions and Andre Turrentine from Ohio State, Wesley Walker from Georgia Tech, uh, and Byron Young, who we, we mentioned a few times. So they, they've got to get that up and going. And, and again, I've got to throw this out here too. They've got three guys on offense who can run 23 miles per hour. And Trev, one of those is our uh, new favorite player, Squirrel White. We love Squirrel here on the (laughs) podcast. You know, and Tennessee fans, I've said it before, y'all bang on Jeremy Banks. But you heard Josh Heupel after that first scrimmage here a couple days ago, right? Who had an interception. Mm -hmm. A beauty, according to Josh Heupel. Yeah. uh, Jeremy Banks. So uh, get ready for an all-SEC type season. For Banks at inside linebacker, it's just going to be more of a question of everyone else around him. A couple of guys up front you like, guy or two in the secondary, but Banks going to be front and center in that defense in 2022. So, Brent, as we move along here, we are at the Texas A&M Aggies. Let's go to College Station. Let's get something of interest. It sounds like there's been some positivity here involving Haynes King at the quarterback position. Am I right on that? Yeah, I, I think you are. Now, it, sometimes it depends on which report and what you hear uh, that that goes along with this. Now, what's also interesting to me, and this is something that what we can unpack real quick, is Jimbo's changed his coaching duties uh, with several of the assistants, including former wide receiver coach Damian Craig handling the quarterbacks. Uh, now I, I'm, I'm curious what you think about that. And we know Damian Craig, obviously an old quarterback. Time, uh, an old quarterback at Auburn. Uh, yeah. now, and, and again, Jim Jimbo is your, he, he basically is in charge of your quarterbacks. We, we get that, but I, I just thought that was a tweak in the coaching st- staff. That was interesting. Yeah. I'll tell you, I like it because if we're being just totally honest here, we don't have enough minorities 
at the coordinator level. Yes. And you just don't see, fair or not, right or wrong, you don't see wide receiver coaches a lot of times going straight to the coordinator level. Now, we saw it with Josh Gaddis a couple years ago, leaving Alabama to go to Michigan. Now, I believe Josh is at Miami in that role. So good for him. But it typically comes from the quarterback coach uh, position, right? Uh, in terms yes. of making that next, because what is the the combined responsibilities more often than not? Offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, right? Correct. correct. Yes. So I, I like it for Damian Craig. I like it for you know the future of of, of, of those positions moving forward. But um, we all know at the end of the day, it's kind of like saying someone coaches the corners at Alabama, and then you go out to practice, and there's Nick Saban you know, all up in the defensive backs <laughs> assisting <laughs> with the corners. And so I'm sure there will be some continued assistance provided by Jimbo Fisher. And we close things out with the aforementioned Vanderbilt club that will be making its way to Oahu for that week zero opener, six and a half point favorite on the road. I see here, Brent Vanderbilt going out to the university of Hawaii in the zero week matchup. Uh, they they did have a scrimmage Saturday, so they are on uh, their uh, their schedule. Obviously, has been sped up somewhat uh, with this. They are looking for uh, receivers. Their wide receivers coach Alex Bailey said they're trying a lot of guys out uh, now. Will Shepard uh is had a nice season last year. Yeah. Remember remember him as a sophomore, yeah. forty three catches for nearly six hundred yards. And they've got some other guys, uh uh Devin Bodet, uh Jalen uh or Jaden McGowan, Quincy Skinner, uh Gavin Scanwald. So uh we'll we'll see what they come of that. But but Trev, that that is a uh, that's a crucial part. They need some guys, and, and there are several. Uh, I think South Carolina's in this category too. They need some game breakers, don't they? They can they can go over the top and score some points in the month of September to help them. It seems like there's just such an abundance of quality wide receivers now in college football. Yes, and a lot of that has to do with positional preference. We've heard coaches talk about it in the last few years. Nick Saban, I believe, has touched on it. You go to recruit cornerbacks, and it's harder than ever yeah. because if a guy can play corner, he wants to play wide receiver. And so it's it's hard to convince guys to go to the other side. And mm-hmm. with that, usually you have an abundance uh, of quality guys at, at the wide receiver position. But sounds like Vanderbilt feels very good about its situation at quarterback. So – if I had to have a pick between the two, that's where I would want to have that comfort level. But no doubt, um, you know, need to to find some guys that can can catch it to to go on with their their quarterbacks there. Anything else for us, Brent? As we get out of here on a Friday, let me uh, uh, clarify something here on the. And this has been a I know a bigger story uh, in our area with Florida Georgia recruiting. Uh, as far as the Florida, Georgia, Georgia, Florida game. Now, nothing official from the schools, uh, but what, but again, we remember uh, one of the big stories that came out of media days uh, is that uh, old story to us 
about do you move the Florida Georgia game to the uh, campuses? Uh, and Kirby says well, we don't like it having it in Jacksonville because we can't uh, recruit and bring our guys in. Well, uh, and I give uh, a couple of sources. Dogs HQ has had a story about this that Georgia plans to leave tickets for recruits and their families in Jacksonville for the first time. They are the home team, but here, here's the difference here, and this is why this is not overly a big deal, uh, but yet it, it, Georgia thinks it's important, and I understand that. There still won't be any contact between coaches and recruits allowed due to the off-campus nature uh, of the game. So just a little bit of quick clarification on that, Travis. We won't spend a, a, a lot of time on it. So maybe at least for this year, since they're, they're, they're the home team, uh, will, that, will that be sufficient for Kirby Smart as far as recruiting is concerned? I, I'm surprised that that hasn't already been addressed in, in, the, in the past. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to mm-hmm. say just looking at Alabama and neutral site games, Dallas, right. Atlanta, I believe they've been able to provide tickets to recruits mm-hmm. to, to those games in the past. So uh, perhaps, as you said, uh, a development that will will help soothe things where, uh, you know, some of Georgia's angst in relation to having that yes. game in Jacksonville is concerned. Well, Brent, always a lot of fun with you here on the second helping podcast. And certainly if you haven't subscribed to the podcast as of yet, We hope you'll do that and leave us a rating and a review while you're there, while you're signing up, while making that simple click or two. That would help us out tremendously as well. Appreciate it, Brent. Travis, always a lot of fun. Next week, uh, a little reviewing of Scrimmage 1 and previewing of Scrimmage 2. Yeah, we already will have some teams that might be through Scrimmage 2, but we'll we'll make it all work. We'll bring it all together for you right here. on second helping for Brent Beard, Travis Ryers, thanking you once again for joining us here on the pod until next time. So long, everybody.